Great to be with everyone. Good to see y'all. Um, I hope you're having a great morning. I, I'm reminded today, like, just how spoiled we've been by the weather as we wake up to this cold and, and chilly morning. Um, if you're new with us today, so glad you're here. My name's Corey. I'm the teaching pastor for our Plain City campus. And, and again, if, you, if you're new, uh, I just want to ask you one, one special thing. You can go ahead and get out your phone. That's okay to do here. And you can open up your web browser, and if you want to head to lpguest.com, lpguest.com, or if you don't like typing that in, you can scan the QR code in the back of the chair in in front of you. That's going to take you to some uh, helpful resources. It'll take you to some message notes for this morning where you can see some of the scripture, the main points, even take your own notes and email them to yourself later. It will also take you to a digital guest card that takes less than 60 seconds to fill out. Um, at the bottom of that digital guest card are five ministries that we, we partner with. You can pick one that means the most to you, and we'll make a $5 donation in your honor. That way you can do something kind just for, for being with us today. Also want to let you know that at the end of the message today, we're going to be taking communion together. You think I would remember that, but I just forgot that and looked down at Jim and said, Jim, can you get me some of the communion stuff? So he was gracious enough to hand me his, so you can pick those up um, anytime if, if you need them throughout the message or, or after to grab those. So grateful to be with you today. We're wrapping up our series that we've been in called Kingdom Values this morning. And our big idea for this series each and every week has been this, that living in God's kingdom means giving towards things that matter. And we've been defining God's kingdom like this each week. We've been saying God's kingdom is the kingdom of God, is his eternal, spiritual, and ruling authority over everything. Practically put, that means this, that since God's kingdom is eternal, right, it's not just when we die, it's not just at the end of the world, but the kingdom of God is now in our daily lives. God is ruling and reigning and has authority over the ins and outs of everything that's going on each and every moment of our lives. And today, we're actually wrapping up this series, going back to where we started. Four weeks ago, we started in Matthew chapter 6, and this morning, we're going to wrap things up back in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn there, Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Several weeks ago, we started in verse 19, and in verse 19, Jesus is teaching his followers in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, and he's teaching them about wealth management and about how our heart can be pulled between two different kingdoms. And in verse 19, Jesus says, says this. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He goes on to say, For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. And he says, no one can serve two masters. He's either going to hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve. You and I cannot serve both God and money. Jesus lays out in these these verses here that that there's two kingdoms, an earthly and a a heavenly kingdom. And that we're going to store up treasure in only one of those two places. And and along with our big idea that that when it comes to giving towards what matters, that you and I chasing after the material possessions of this world or God's heavenly kingdom, right, they can't be done at the same time. They can't coexist together. That we cannot serve both the earthly and the, the heavenly at the same time. And that our heart, why Jesus says this, is that our heart is going to go in one of those directions. Our heart can't split time between the two. 
And what Jesus was laying out here was, was this, that you and I, that we have to decide which kingdom we're going to live for. That you and I have to deserve, decide which master we're going to serve. Is it going to be God or is it going to be money or the material things of this world? And all of that, this decision here actually impacts how you and I give our time and our talents and our resources. Are we going to give them to that which is earthly or are we going to give them to that which is heavenly, the kingdom of God? Now, there's a, a couple out at our Delaware campus, in case you don't know, we're, we're one church five campuses at life point here and so we have a campus out in in delaware and there's a couple out there that was wrestling through this very thing right they were wrestling through earthly kingdom heavenly kingdom and and so their names are emmett and and michelle and emmett met with our teaching pastor out there kale and emmett expressed to kale that he wanted to grow as a disciple that he was unhappy with where they were financially as a as a family and Emmett and his wife expressed this desire to become more generous with all that they had. And, but there was one glaring issue as Cale and Emmett talked. And it was that they had this enormous car payment. They had a beautiful, brand new SUV, but the car payment was, was just huge. Well, Emmett and Cale talk, and then the very next morning, Emmett texts Cale, the teaching pastor. He texts Cale from the car dealership. And rather than me finish the story, what I want to do is let you watch on the screen Emma and Michelle finish their story here. I'm Emmett Jarvis, and this is my wife, Michelle Jarvis. And we've been going to Delaware LifePoint campus for about a year and a half now. My previous career was I was a light infantryman in the United States Army until I retired a couple years ago always going overseas to Iraq or Afghanistan like I was, you know, you kind of, you get into a habit of when you're home, you want to be able to enjoy your life, have the nicer things, and before you know it, we're maxing out credit cards, we have no more money, and we're completely bankrupt. You know, with a lot of prayer and consulting and talking to Kale and other people, it was like really weighed on my heart. I was like, you know what? I need to get rid of my really nice truck that I love and trade it in for this Honda Accord. It just kind of refocused our energy on God because that's where our joy should be coming from. And something as simple as trading our cars in or getting rid of something or downgrading something that's of dollar value should be so simple to us when he has sacrificed so much more. Yeah, I think some of the positives that we've seen from making that switch is I wanted to be able to give to the church in a meaningful way. And, and because of what we've been able to do by freeing up so much money extra a month, you know, it's put us into a position where we're able to start budgeting money to start going to the church and the missions that are gonna greatly impact and help uh, spread the word of God. It has freed up to where we are able to do more with our family, um, where we're able to do more together. Every time I, we do it on our own or our own way, typically don't get the results we need to be getting. But if we do it God's way, I'll tell you, like every time we've done it God's way, we've had great success come from it. Man, I, 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 I love that video. I love their story because at the core of it is they were choosing God's kingdom over the things of this world. And if you notice when Michelle shared, she said cars, right? 
not only did they trade Emmett's truck in, they traded her car in too. And, and so I, I share that with you, but I want to let you know, does that mean you, you're going to be at a car dealership tomorrow trading in, in your car? No, not necessarily, right? But it does mean this. It does mean that if God gets a hold of your heart in some areas, be careful. You just may be at a car dealership tomorrow trading in your car if God gets a hold of your heart. Right? That we are constantly faced with deciding which kingdom we will live for. And Jesus goes on in verse 25, and he says this. He says, therefore I do not tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so what Jesus does here is he goes to our material and our physical needs right here. The very things that, that you and I go to work to provide for ourselves, that we go get money to provide for ourselves, the things we give attention to, the things we, we strive for. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be anxious about those things. And the words do not be anxious here carry the meaning with, with it to say, give no distracting thought. Jesus saying, give no distracting thought to the material and physical possessions and needs of your life. That these are earthly things that, that you don't need to worry about. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, if I'm honest, I read this, right? And the first things that come into my mind is, that's great, Jesus. Way easier said than done. Because I don't know about you, but this is how I get, right, in my daily life. I can quickly become preoccupied with, anxious about, distracted, and fearful about all of my and my family's material needs being met. And when I do, I don't know about you, but here's what starts to go on in, in my brain. I start thinking, what, what if I don't stockpile enough? What if I don't have enough? What if we don't have enough? What if I'm generous today, but then I need that money for something else tomorrow? What if an unexpected expense pops up? What are we going to do then? And what starts to happen internally with me is this battle starts to rage. This battle between fear and, and trust. Fear and, and trust. And I don't know if you ever find yourself there, right? Like, for me, it's kind of like, God, I, I, I want to trust you. I'm trusting you, God. You will provide. You do know my needs. You're going to be there for me. But, but I'm afraid. And so in that moment when I'm afraid, what do I do? I just, I just go, you know what? I'll just step over here, God, and I'll just take care of everything myself. I won't worry about it. I'll, I'll do it. I got it. I'll put my hands back on the, on the wheel. And, and, and I don't know about you, but the result in my life is this, is that, that my focus and, and my attention and that my heart and in all my anxieties like Jesus is talking about begins to, to hone in on all of the earthly stuff instead of the, the heavenly. And, and what, what Jesus is, is trying to say here and what he's beginning to lay the foundation for us is this. That in our life, he wants us to understand that because the kingdom of God is so greatly superior to all of, of our earthly pursuits, it, the kingdom of God, really deserves all of our attention. That's where our attention is supposed to go. And so Jesus says, don't get distracted by your earthly needs. And he follows this up in verse 26 with some, some instruction that I kind of find strange. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap nor they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. In verse 28, Jesus says, Why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. In other words, they don't work and they don't make their own clothes for themselves. Jesus says, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these flowers in the fields. 
But if God so clothes clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? So what Jesus does here is he zooms out from all of our, our personal needs and our physical needs and material needs. And he zooms out to talk about the needs of all of nature. And Jesus points out how God provides for all of nature. For every flower, for every blade of grass, and for every animal. All of it depends on God. And God shows up and faithfully provides for all of nature, season by season, day after day, and moment by moment. Jesus gives us this example because if God can and does provide for all of nature, if he can do all of that all the time, all at once, then we can trust him to provide for our needs. Jesus is trying to get us to see this, and it's challenging for me, but he's trying to get us to see this, that we don't need to chase after what God already wants to bring to us. That you and I don't have to chase after what God already wants to to bring to us. And if you have kids, we know this far better than we think we do. But if you have kids, or maybe you can think about growing up as a child, but, but for me as a dad, I have two boys, they're, they're teenagers now, but we have modeled for, for them that we will provide for their needs over and over again, that we'll, we'll provide for their, their food and their clothing, and we'll give them shelter, and we'll take them to all their doctor appointments, that whatever their needs are, we have tried to model for them that we will meet those needs as their parents. And this is going to come as an unbelievable shock to you this morning. I know none of you will be able to believe this. But I'm a faulty parent. I'm imperfect as a dad. I know it's hard to believe, you know. I mean, just, it's crazy, right? I'm a, I am a sinful human being and an imperfect parent. My son Noah sitting right down here in front. He can come right up here and be like, amen, right? My dad is faulty. He sees all of my faults, all of my failures, but I'm, I'm reminded in what we're talking about today and in my own parenting, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, where it says, If you then who are evil, speaking of parents, right, some tough words there from Jesus, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, right, how much more will your Father in heaven, God, who is perfect and sinless and without fault, how much more will he give good things to those who ask him? That God, we call him our heavenly Father, in other words, our heavenly parent he wants and he will provide to us his children all that we we need and since he's faithful and trustworthy and he's able like we just talked about even with nature to do this then we don't have to chase after those things this is so hard for us to grasp isn't it that we as parents model this very thing to our children over and over again i'm trustworthy You can trust me. I will meet your needs. I will provide for your needs. That you don't have to worry. We tell our kids, you don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to give your attention to those things. You don't have to cast your anxieties on those things. And you don't have to chase after those things. We're going to meet your needs. Think about how silly it would be, especially our little ones, if we just said, you know what? Good luck. Have at it. You provide for your needs. Get, Get the money. Get the food on the table. You go about it, right? Like, as they grow up, it would be a train wreck, right? They would wear themselves out. And even more so than that, you know what would happen in their lives? They would invite unneeded worry and and anxiety into their lives trying to meet those needs. Now check this out. How often do we 
If we're doing that as parents to our earthly kids, how often do we, as children of God, fail to learn that very same lesson we're trying to teach our kids? How often do we, as children of God, fail to realize and receive the provision that God, our Heavenly Father, happily wants and tells us, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. How silly we must look sometimes when we run around and try to do all on our own. That God must be going, what are you doing? I'm going to take care of you. I've got your back. I'll provide for you. So God's trying to tell us, Jesus is trying to tell us here that we don't need to chase after the things that, that God will already bring to us. Now, we're to be good stewards. We're to manage what he brings our way well. But Jesus is saying we don't have to fret after those things. We don't have to worry after those things that God wants to bring to us already. So on top of trusting God, on top of not being anxious about these things, on top of knowing that, that God is able, Jesus says God does this, and I think this is so amazing. I think this is the, the, maybe just the heartbeat of, of what we're talking about this morning that changes everything for us. Here's why God does this. Verse 26, Jesus says, Are you not of more value than the birds and the grass and the flowers to God? Are you not more valuable, he says. And in verse 32, he says, your heavenly father knows everything that you need. He knows all of your needs. He's not unaware that if God is aware of, of what you need and he is, this means God is unbelievably close to you. He's unbelievably personal to us. He's unbelievably aware of what's going on in our lives, that he is in the know. He's not some far off God that has no clue what's going on, but he knows what we need. And, and, and since he's so personal and since he sees and since he knows, he, he knows about, hey, that job that you need right now, that, that you need to have so you can put food on the table, he knows about that. The utility bills that you need to keep on, he knows about that. The insurance that you, you need for your family and for your kids, he knows about that. That the food you need to have in your refrigerator and your pantry, he knows about that. That the winter coat that you need or that your kid needs, he knows about that, that he is aware and this really hit home for for me and, and my family and for kelly and i years and years ago we had our our first son brayden and kelly had just had our second son noah and we were bringing noah home and at that time as as young parents we there was not a lot of money to go around the budget was extremely tight there were no nights out. There were no going out and buying new clothes. There were no runs to, to Starbucks or anything like that. And, and, and having a second child, as, as many of you know, it brought more diapers. It brought more doctor bills. And it brought a lot more expensive formula into our house, right? And, and our budget, if I'm honest with you at that time, put it in a spreadsheet, we were in the red. We were in the negative at that time. And God, like he does so many times, sometimes you're like, is your timing perfect or is your timing like really way off? It's perfect, all right, y'all? It was right at that time. God convicted Kelly and I, you know what? You need to start giving. You need, you need to start tithing. We weren't tithing at the time. And he started to lay on our hearts about giving and tithing at that time. And I got to tell you, some conversations with God, they were, they were pretty brutal and honest at that time. Like, how can you ask us to give? We don't have anything to give. We're in the negative. We have scraped everything down just to get by. But he brought us to a point that we needed to trust him. And we gave. And we trusted. And every month, somehow, every month, I'd go look at the bank account. 
and we weren't in the red. There was enough money in there. I'm not saying we were rich and overflowing, but there was enough to meet our needs. We, we never went in debt. We never overdrafted. We never missed a bill, and we never missed a meal. It was during that time I became just how aware and in the know God was about our little family of four in Hilliard, Ohio, and that he would faithfully provide for all of our needs. Not only is he this personal God who knows and, and, and is willing to provide for our needs, it goes far beyond that. God wants to meet our needs because as Jesus said in verse 26 there, you are of great value to God. I am of great value to God, right? Your kids are of great value to God. I'm, I gotta be honest, that blows my, my mind because most of the time, I walk around thinking that I don't have a lot, I don't have great value to anyone, let alone a great value to God. That just blows my mind, right? I don't know if you've ever thought about that or spent a few moments that you have great value before your heavenly father. Jesus tells us this in verse 26. All of scripture tells us this, that we are valuable to God. God shows us over and over again that we are valuable to him. You might be thinking, well, just how does he show us these things? Well, think about it like this. God proves we are of value to him because he personally has a hand and informs us and knits us together in the womb. That he's breathed his, his breath into our, our lungs and our lives. That he's created us in, in his image. That he's set us above all of creation. And, and if you just need exhibit 1A of how much you are of value to God and how much he loves you, Look no further than his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that he sent to the cross for you. The cross that you were supposed to hang on. The cross that I was supposed to hang on because of our sins. But God said, you know what? I love you, and I'm going to send my son to take that place for you and pay the penalty for your sins. That's how much God values us, that we have this relational, intimate, personal God. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand that by pointing to nature and by telling us not to be anxious about these things. Because here's the deal. It's, it's not in the notes on the app, but I think we have it on the screen. This is the realization that happens here. Too often, you and I worry about many of our, our material things that this life is rooted in because it, it, we have a low understanding of our value before God. That too often the worry many of us have over the material things of this life is rooted in a low understanding of our value before God that we often fail to comprehend just how much God loves for us, just how much God cares for us, and he will meet and provide for our needs. And when we take things into our own hands, right, Jesus says this in, in, in verse 27. He says, which of you by being anxious, which of you by, by grabbing on to the wheel, which of you by taking over for God can add a single hour to the span of your life? In other words, this, you want to do it on your own, if I want to do it on your own, the return on investment for our lives is zero. That worrying and trusting ourselves and giving attention to all this earthly stuff accomplishes nothing. There's no gain added to our lives. And, and it's actually, if we're honest, right, we know this, it's actually a negative. It actually, the worry and the anxiety that we spend over things, which is so very real for so many of us, right, actually takes away from our lives. It actually distracts us and pulls us apart. And not only does it do that, but it takes our attention off of God, doesn't it? 
when we go to those moments. Emmett and Michelle, did you catch what they said? They, they said kind of there at the end, that, hey, we tried it our way and it really didn't work. And we realized that when we follow God's way, that, that's when things turn out the best. Here's what's going on. God is looking at us and he's inviting us to know a freedom from the worry and the anxiety that comes from undue concern about material things. That's what he's inviting us into, a freedom from the worry and anxiety that comes from undue concern. Notice it's undue, undue concern. It doesn't mean you should never be concerned about it. It doesn't mean you just throw caution into the wind and do whatever you want. But when we give that undue concern, that distracting thoughts, that anxiety over to the stuff, God's saying, I want you to have freedom from all of that and trust me that I'll provide for you. Why? Here's where all of this is leading. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, all these things that you need, they'll be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. All of what we've been going through, all of what we've been talking about these four weeks, all of what Jesus is talking about right here, he's, he's trying to move us. He's trying to move you and I. He's trying to move your heart. He's trying to move our minds. He's trying to move our schedules, our, our work hours, our free hours, our finances, our talents. He's saying, hey, I want you to move all of that to make sure all of it seeks first the kingdom of God and not the earthly kingdom. Jesus is trying to get you and I to, to set as the rule of our life God's kingdom first. That Jesus is trying to get us to order all of our priorities, God's kingdom first. That, the, that a kingdom first mindset for you and I is not just something we, we just tack onto our lives or add into our schedules, but it's to be in everything that we do. That means your job, it's more than just punching a clock. I told our, our, our life teams earlier, punching a clock, that I'm really old saying that, right? Like, I grew up punching a clock, okay, right? But our jobs are more than just that. They're a mission field for the kingdom of God. Our homes are more than just places we live. We're to leverage our homes for the kingdom of God. When we parent, we're investing in our kids to train them up in the ways of the Lord for the kingdom of God. Our marriages are to show Christ to the outside world for the kingdom of God. That we love others like Jesus loved. That we, we reach out to our neighbors and we, we be a good neighbor and, and show them the gospel. That we, we are the hands and feet within our communities that we live in. That when if you're a teenager and you go to schools, that means your hallways are also a mission field for the kingdom of, of God. That the time the Lord has given us is not to be, be wasteful, but it's to be organized correctly for the kingdom of God. And even our finances, as we've been talking about each week, he wants us to become generous givers. God does not want us to just give him a tip. He wants us to give him our tithe and do it joyfully and cheerfully for the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God, this is where we come back to where we started, the kingdom of God is so superior to all of our earthly pursuits. It deserves our all and it deserves to be in all that you and I do. So much so that God is saying in this text today, here's the deal. I know your needs. I want you to keep the kingdom first before you. So I'm telling you to do that. I know your needs. I'm going to take care of your needs. And I got your back each and every single day. 
God is essentially saying, I'm going to clear the way for your earthly needs so that you can be fully focused on, can go all in on, can give your full attention to, to set your mind and your sights and your heart and your time and your talents and your resources and your life to putting my kingdom first while you're on this earth. God is saying, if you give me that attention, if you give my kingdom that attention, if you trust me, he says, I, God, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Another saying, another way to describe that, which I love this, is that it's the God who will see to it. The God who will see to it will not just supply for your needs, but resupply your needs over and over again so that you and I can keep kingdom work up here first in our lives. Listen, that when we leverage our time and our talents and our resources for the kingdom, God promises to refuel and refresh and renew and resupply all that we need so that we can keep serving his kingdom, so that we can keep it first in our lives. That is God's promise to you and I today. The question is, do we believe it? And do we live it out? Let me tell you, you're like, ah, okay, I, I hear you. Let me tell you just how serious God is about his kingdom. Just a handful of verses earlier, Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, would you please teach us how to pray? And what does Jesus teach them? Even before he teaches them how to start praying, you know what he tells them? Kind of echoes what he's talking about right here. He says, hey, I just want to let you know before you even pray, your heavenly father, he knows about everything you need even before you ask him. Right? How awesome is that? And then Jesus goes like this in, in, in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Right? On earth as it is in heaven. One of the first things God teaches his disciples to pray is your kingdom come. God is so serious about his kingdom. He says, you know what? I want you to pray about it. I want you to pray about it coming to earth. God is so serious about his kingdom that Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, he's back on earth showing himself to folks. He's got 40 days that he, he stays. His last instructions, which you would think would be some of the most important instructions you, could t instructions you can tell somebody. If you knew it's the last time you're going to talk to them, those words are extremely important. And how does Jesus leave them? It wasn't, hey guys, let me how to do, tell you how to do a church service. It wasn't, hey guys, let me tell you, it's, it's this, this style of music over this style of music. Jesus doesn't leave them with, well, it's, it's really these ministries and not these ministries. He doesn't say, well, you know what, when you get your hallways, this is the carpet and this is the paint. He doesn't leave them with any of that stuff, right? All the stuff that, that we fight over in church, right? Instead, we find Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days, doing what? Speaking about the kingdom of God. His last moments on earth were teaching and speaking about the kingdom of God and how his followers were to invest into that kingdom and keep it first. This is how the book of Acts opens up. And God, in all of his, his wisdom, and to drive that point home to, to you and I, you know how the book of Acts closes out? The book of Acts closes out with the great missionary, the great church planter, the great disciple maker, the apostle Paul, 
And what do we find the Apostle Paul doing at the end of the book of Acts? Acts 28, verse 23, he says, From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from, from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Just a few verses later, if we drop down to, to, to verse 30, it says, Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, doing what? Proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. Without hindrance and with boldness over and over again. The book of Acts, where the, where the church is birthed and where the gospel explodes, is bookended with, it opens and closes with seeking first the kingdom. How often do we miss this lesson in our lives? How often do you and I worry and fret, living in fear, not trusting our good heavenly father? How often do we seek first our earthly kingdoms? How often do we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, but what our lives shout is my kingdom come, my will be done. How often do we give our attention to and are distracted by the earthly instead of the heavenly? How often do we build bigger and bigger barns to store up our earthly treasures in and hold back our generosity? We will dedicate and worry over and strive for and give our attention to and give our lives to all of these earthly things. And in the end, they're just simply going to fade away. We're not going to take any of them with us. They're going to disappear. They're going to last for a little while and then be gone. But Jesus here challenges us to not mark our lives by chasing after the temporary or those things that are of secondary importance. Instead, Jesus is, is calling us, he's calling his, his disciples to organize and orchestrate and prioritize and give our lives away to something that is eternal, to have an eternal perspective about our lives and the things he's given us. He's inviting us to take all of our energy and attention that we would put into our material things and the worldly things and the earthly things and give all of that attention and energy and focus and concern toward his kingdom first. And when we do that, when we do that, you and I get involved in what will last forever. When you and I do that, we get our kingdom values correct and in the right order. So as we close up today, how is God speaking to you? What is he stirring inside of you as you hear these things today? What earthly pursuits do you need to abandon? Where is God calling you to put away worry and begin trusting him? How does God want you to serve and put his kingdom first? Is it jumping in and serving here at church or in the community? Is it, is it taking a step in your giving or reordering your finances like, like Emmett and Michelle did so you can put God's kingdom first? Is it just being unashamed at Jesus at work or at school? Is it connecting with a neighbor so that you can show them Jesus? Is it joining a, a life group so you can be around some others that are going to walk with you and say, you know what, we're striving with you. We're trying to put God's kingdom first in our lives too. Maybe today for you it's a, it's a step forward in trusting God with baptism. Or maybe today it's taking that step of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and for a new life in, in him. Whatever it might be, what is God stirring in you today? How is the Spirit speaking to you this morning? And so as we close, I'm reminded of a poem by C.T. Studd. 
C.T. Studd lived in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. He was born into a very wealthy and privileged family. And C.T. Studd became a missionary to China and India and Africa. And he wrote a poem that I think closes out our time in this series perfectly. I want to read it for you today. The poem goes like this. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me my selfish aims to leave and God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its hopes, its burdens, and its fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or living for his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright and world would tempt me sore, and when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then Lord help me with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or in sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear that call, I know I will say, t'was worth it all. Only one life. Your life will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ in your life will last. A fitting way, not only just to end our time and our series together, but I think a fitting way to look back at the cross of Jesus Christ, what he's done, and take communion together. That Jesus left his heavenly kingdom to save you and I. He left his heavenly kingdom, the riches that he had to bestow riches upon us. And as we take communion today, it's a time for Christians to celebrate and honor and remember Jesus through the breaking of bread, which represents his broken body for you and I on the cross. That communion for us is a time to celebrate and honor and, and, and remember that through the cup, it represents Jesus' shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. And in light of that, the night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread, he broke it, and he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And the scriptures say, that Jesus then gave thanks. And he took the cup. And he said, drink of it. All of you. For this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. As we close today, I could think of no more fitting prayer than to go back to how the Lord taught his disciples to pray. He said this, bow your heads with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, as we've learned today, you are faithful and you will do so. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's in Jesus Christ's matchless name that we pray.